Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share inspiring stories and tips on facing vulnerability and the lessons we can use to help us be able to find success and fulfillment in our own lives. With each episode, we hope to impact one listener. And if anything you've heard has impacted you, we'd appreciate you sharing it on social. Thank you for listening. Now let's get vulnerable. Martina Boone said, It took vulnerability to forge strength, the way true courage required fear. This is episode 59 of the Vulnerable Podcast with Anne-Marie Zanzel. Growing up, she'd have to deal with an alcoholic parent, making her entire childhood full of vulnerability. This was just the beginning for her, because for her entire life, she felt like part of her was missing, like something wasn't right, but it would take years before she'd begin to truly figure it out. She would live her life by societal norms, going to school, getting married, and starting a family. She was always dimly aware of her sexual orientation, leaning towards women, but growing up in a very Catholic home, she would suppress it, knowing it would never fly. Then in her 40s, she began to realize that she needed to begin exploring this part of her that she had kept hidden for so long. She decided to come out to her husband, and a few years later, they started therapy for other reasons where unfortunately she didn't find a ton of support. All in all, it wasn't until four years ago when she decided to finally come out to everyone and begin living her truth. Now, as a graduate of Yale Divinity School, she's an ordained minister in the Progressive United Church of Christ, a grief counselor, and a hospice chaplain. She provides individual coaching and mutual support groups for people coming out in the LGBTQIA community. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get vulnerable with Anne-Marie Zanzel. Hey, Anne-Marie, thank you for coming on the Vulnerable Podcast. Uh, you're one of the many people that signed up through the podcastguest.com newsletter. I'm excited to have you here, uh, have you share your story. We just talked for a few minutes before getting started here, and I have a feeling this is going to be uh, an interesting one and one that might go on a few different tangents, but that's what podcasting is all about. So again, thank you for, for coming on today. Thank you for having me, Brian. So the first question I like to ask every guest to get started is what is your definition of vulnerability? I think my definition of vulnerability is facing the fears that we have and going forward anyway. Short and sweet. <laughs> I like yeah. it. I like it. Yeah. I like it. No, I like it though. I, I And I definitely agree in terms of you know, facing sort of the fears and scarier times and then still deciding to move forward. Because as we discussed before we started here, like I think the message behind this is, uh, behind the podcast for me at least, is being able to find that strength and being able to find those lessons in that struggle or in those times of fear. So I couldn't agree more with what you had to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and the thing is, is oftentimes we have the fear and then um, facing it and then learning the messages that we need from facing that fear is so it's like building blocks, you know, how they have chemical building blocks. Like you realize, I think one of the things as we do as humans is we face one fear and then we say, Oh, that's not so bad. (laughs) And then we face another fear and, and, and we continue building blocks. And so eventually we end up with some wisdom about life, hopefully, and that we figure out a way to live in this world that is much more 
non-confrontational, I think. No, that makes a lot of sense, definitely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you can look back on, on your own life and your own journey and go back as far as you want, completely up to you, um, when would you say would be your first time that you, was your first time that you faced some sort of vulnerability or challenge or struggle in your own life? Oh, well, you know, I came from a very chaotic childhood. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic home, so probably five. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, um, a lot of children are very vulnerable when they grow up in either, I call them chaotic homes, because it doesn't matter whether it's um, all the all the time, all, you know, whether you grow up with somebody who is an alcoholic or you grow up somebody who is abusive in some way, sexually, emotional, physical, it, you become, you learn about vulnerability in, at a very, very young age because you are simply as that. And so what we end up doing is creating coping mechanisms. And a lot of us do that because we sort of have to survive. And so we are vulnerable. Sometimes our emotional state is vulnerable. Sometimes our physical state is vulnerable. And so we end up learning coping mechanisms to survive, which is perfectly appropriate when we're young. But then as we get older, those coping mechanisms we learned as children to sometimes survive and thrive often doesn't serve us very well as we enter into adulthood. So I'll give you an example. A lot of times people who grow up, what we call it, adult children of alcoholics or ACOAs, um, they often have like uh, some type, you know, we, we, we sort of go towards perfectionism and, and that's can be really wonderful because it helps you achieve a lot of things. You know, you often do really well at school, do really well at your job, achieve many different kinds of things in our lives. But then, man, it's awfully hard to be perfect our entire lives. So we held uh, we hold ourselves up to a standard that is totally unattainable, and we end up really harming ourselves in the long run. So every attribute we get from our survival skills, they're attributes, but they're also non-beneficial as well. As so, it's a it's a mixed bag of things. No, and and I mean I can't I can't relate exactly um, with you know your experience, but I can definitely see how like you're saying that there's a lot of things in our childhood that may not benefit us later on in life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and, and it's funny because I sort of look at you know the fact that if we look back when we we're younger, there are benefits that we can find, but I can now see how there's also the there's sort of both ends of it. There's not just because I look back at, you know, when I was younger and the things that I made might have done when I was younger in terms of being more creative and stuff like that and think that's something I should bring into my adulthood. But I can see now where you're coming from, where some things that may have happened or, or that we may have created in our childhood may not benefit us later on. But speaking of that, like, what did you do at that age to maybe cope or overcome or, or just work through that? Like, was there anything that was it maybe friends or other relationships that you had, or was there anything that you can remember that helped you sort of work through that at such a young age? Well, it's interesting. Reading, <laughs> I became an incredibly, it really helped actually in the long run because, you know, I read constantly. So my parents argued a lot. So that was probably, I mean, you know, they, there was just a lot of arguing and um, anger in my childhood home because of one of the parents being an alcoholic and the other person, my, the other person being the codependent. Um, 
And so one of the ways I coped was read all the time. And that actually, it made me a heck of a lot smarter, (laughs) you know, and it was really, it was really interesting because even at, I think what was really good about it is even at a very young age, you know, um, I would read about other people's lives. I always loved um, nonfiction. I read a lot of autobiographies. So it taught me that there are other ways to live. And what's going on here right now when I'm eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, um, there are other people that have lived different lives and this isn't how it is for everybody. And so that was really uh, important for me. And also too, a lot of times people who come from um, uh, alcoholic homes have a lot of shame about it. And like, I have none because a couple of things. One, my parent that was not the alcoholic always talked about it with me, which was good. And two, I read all these books that like there was, you know, I read books about families who had alcoholics and stuff like that. So I knew it wasn't like, I knew I wasn't the only one. And so that was really, really helpful. So that was the coping skill I learned. No. And, and I think that's an awesome sort of takeaway from it is the fact that you were able to use that time like you're saying to learn more. And I was sort of smirking over here the whole time because the one thing that, that we share in common is I was the same as a child, I only read autobiographies. I only yeah. read like nonfiction. I didn't like, there was maybe two fiction series that I liked as a kid, but for the most part, I loved reading biographies. And it's it sort of, as I'm, as I was standing here listening to you, it made me wonder if part of the reason that I'm enjoying, you know, telling uh, or having people share their stories is because of the same reason that you sort of related to there is, is that reading other people's stories just made me sort of look at other people's lives and, and what they might go through. And so I, I don't know, it's just weird. I, I never mm-hmm. had thought about that and never reflected on it, but it may be part of the reason that I like stories of this type now, because of the fact that I've always sort of enjoyed them. Even now to this day, if you were to go up on my bookshelf, 90% of the books on that bookshelf are nonfiction just because I, I don't, I don't know. I don't don't enjoy fiction, but anyways, I just thought it was, it was funny that, uh, you know, as I, as you were saying that I thought about the fact that I like pretty much the same thing. Well, and it's so funny because it led really in like, so my profession as we were talking about is I'm a chaplain. And so I love, like my, my ex-husband used to joke, to joke about me. He goes, God, you could talk to a tree. Um, but the thing is, is I find people's stories fascinating. Like I truly, truly, I mean, it's just, a, and so the reason why I can talk to a tree is because a lot of times people don't have people that will listen to them. And so I was just, I'm so fascinated what makes people tick. And, and I've learned some skills over the years when I went through my chaplaincy training to not talk so much about my story, but just listen to theirs. And people love that because no one ever is really interested. And so when you get someone who sits down next to you, whether it's on a park bench or in a hospital room and start asking about your life, people just, they're like, you know, uh, I just made the sign of like vomiting to yeah. Brian, but it's like, they just want to tell you their story because very few people actually ask you and are interested. So that's probably why the success of your podcast is people love to tell their stories, you know? 
Yeah, and I, I like to hear them. So, and and I think mm-hmm. like, and I and I hope that one thing I always say is that I hope that I'm impacting just one listener each episode. So, if you know these people's stories can impact anybody, that's basically the the best part of this for me. It's and also what I learn as well. So, um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I I definitely like what you had to say there. So, was there any sort of uh, strength that you discovered in yourself? going through that you know i know you said it sort of led to your your career or your uh, becoming a chaplain but was there any other sort of strength that you discovered in yourself when you were younger going through these sort of things um i can survive turmoil and be okay um i'm also very good in a crisis because i sort of lived in a crisis as a child so when i am in a crisis situation in the hospital and as as we talked about in hospice um i worked for hospice for a number of years um i have the ability to remain very calm and not get upset now having said that i will get upset afterwards but in the moments of dealing with oh a pandemic um i can be pretty calm about all those things and not get flustered by unexpected occurrences like what happens in a disaster so that was a real that's i think really one of my best strengths is that my ability to be pretty calm when things are going crazy around us a lot of acoas have that they, a lot of our ACOAs have that uh, ability to do that. Well, one thing that came to mind as you were saying that, like a word is, is, is being present. And mm-hmm. even just talking to you before this episode, it seems like you're somebody who's fairly present most of the time. And, and I think that that's a skill that all of us should be trying to achieve because I think too many of us are either spending a lot of time in the past or all of our time in the future. <laughs> and right. it's really right now that we only have any sort of control over. So. Yeah. And, you know, practicing presence is very important to me because I'm also known um, to like, I can disappear. And so um, like I can be with like, and that usually typically only happens in my family life um, (laughs) where I just sort of like just go into my own little world. But when I'm working, I'm fully present, you know, (laughs) so because that's my job. So I'm very, yeah. So that's what I, and I, and it's a practice. Sometimes you're not as good at it as others. No. And then, like you said, but I think it's something that we should all be trying to practice in some shape Mm -hmm. or form because Mm -hmm. otherwise I think like you're saying, you just sort of end up, you're, you're going about life where you're kind of always in that spot of just not really being anywhere. You're just sort of like lost somewhere in thought or whatever it might be. Yeah. Lost in the past or worrying about the future. And really neither one of us serves us very well, does it? I mean, it just doesn't. No, exactly. The past is the past and the future. We have no idea. And we have no control over it. Like none. (laughs) As much as we try. And I think that like this pandemic is such a lesson for, because we're all doing this right now in some way, shape or form. Um, I think that's been an incredible lesson for all of us that I could never have imagined this a year ago, what we've just been, are going through and have been through. And so that's just such a lesson to, for all of us to remember, you know, no. that we just don't worry about the future. It really is maybe a week ahead, but that's about it. <laughs> no, for sure. So, you know, now at this point, it's really, you know, I, I like to get through the sort of that first story, that first initial sort of, you know, what happened and, and everything like that. Um, but what, what other stories of, of, you know, vulnerability or, or challenges, like I said, that, that you have that you wouldn't mind sharing, um, you know, uh, go ahead. 
Okay. Well, I would like to share the story about, you know, why we contact, I contacted you in the first place. So um, my story is about coming out later in life. And um, Brian and I were talking in the beginning before we started the podcast today and, you know, talking about how there is such a misconception out in the world that when people come out, first of all, that everybody comes out before the age of 20. And that now that the laws have changed and there is more acceptance of the LGBTQIA plus community, um, that it's easier. And I'm here to tell you, it's not. <laughs> and it is an incredibly vulnerable process. So do you want me just to share the story? Yeah, I mean, I like, okay. yeah, yeah. Let's, let's okay. start there and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see where then we go. Then you can ask questions. <laughs> exactly. Okay, cool. Um, so, um, I'm some, so I'm somebody bear that was always dimly aware of my, um, sexuality, um, my sexual, uh, orientation. Um, my first time that I was ever aware of it was when I was like, um, in my late teens and I saw a beautiful woman at the bar and I was very, very attracted to her. And, you know, I was raised in a very strict Catholic home and, um, even though I was aware that there were gay people in the world and stuff like that and had always an innate acceptance of it. And now I understand why um, it was just not something that was in my sphere. Um, I'm 56. So that can help with context. Um, it was also the 1980s and AIDS was everywhere. And even though it didn't affect the lesbian community, um, it was definitely something that was everywhere. And it was, a, and there was so much um, homophobia in the press and all the men that were getting um, uh, uh, HIV at the time. Um, there was such negativity that it just wasn't on my radar to even consider my sexuality second time happened again when I was like 24, but this time it was with uh, a friend of mine that I knew from high school. We were both engaged to be married to men at the time. And I was like, walked away from that encounter with her, which nothing happened, but walked away from her thinking, maybe I'm gay. Because the feelings I had with women were so very differently than the feelings I had with men, which was just like, okay, I guess I got to do this now. You know, I guess I got to date and I guess I got to get married. And um, so I did. I got married to a, a very nice man who we are still friends. Um, we got married because we were in our mid-20s. Both of us came from, again, very chaotic childhoods. And so we brought something to each other. Um, and all our friends were getting married. Um, it was time. And so we did. And um, we both really, really wanted children. And we did have children. We had four. Um, and I'm going to just say during the time of raising my children, I had three and four years or five years. And then I had my other son, who's my bonus baby, seven years later. Um, I didn't think about my sexuality. A lot of people in all of us who have raised small children and Brian, you're going to be in this, this family soon. But you know, when you raise children, you're just really not thinking about much else except raising your family. And so I just really didn't even consider my sexuality or much else during those 10 years. And it really was my thirties into my forties, um, into my early forties. I was like, it was 2006, and I read this article about um, women's sexuality in Oprah Winfrey magazine, 
And I know it's so cliche. And so all of a sudden I'm like, holy sh can I swear on this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I said, holy shit, that's me. And um, I remember at the time I said to my daughter who was 16 and I'd always raised my, I was in, I'm very on the progressive side of our society and um, pretty liberal in my, um, how I raised my kids. And I said to my daughter at the time who was 16, um, you know, anything should happen to dad and I, um, don't be surprised if I end up with a woman. And she said, okay, mom. And that was it. And, and, you know, I, in reflection, she was the first person I ever came out to. Um, and then my life took another little turn and I went to divinity school and I went to Yale divinity school right after that and really sort of struggled with my sexuality during that whole time. Um, in 2009, um, I was at, believe it or not, uh, uh, Marquand Chapel, which is the chapel at Yale Divinity School. And um, they had a national coming out day service um, that, you know, um, at, the, at the school. And I went being a good little ally that I was, and I was going to support all my friends that were coming out. And, you know, I was in my 40s. A lot of the people there were in their 20s and 30s. And um, I was like, all of a sudden in the middle of the service, I started to cry hysterically. And I somehow ended up on the quad outside the school and like, I don't know how I got from one place to the other, but I remember thinking, Oh my God, I I'm gay and I've got to do something about this. And I was like, how, like, how can I dismantle my life? I have, I'm married. I have four kids between the ages of two and 16, two and 14 at the time. How can I do this? And I just was like, um, overwhelmed. So the next year I did something called clinical pastoral education, and which is the certification process to become a hospital or a hospice chaplain. And it was a residency at a hospital and I spent the whole year, part of it is a lot of self-work. And so um, with, with group work and individual work with something called a supervisor, which is like a therapist. And so I spent a year really just exploring my sexual, like talking about my sexuality a lot, came out to my husband at that time. And um, it was 2010. And at the end of that year, I happened to meet this woman who was the same thing, a minister, had kids, and she had this horrendous experience of coming out where she lost her church. So she lost her family. She lost everything. And I was like, nope, <laughs> and went back into the closet. And um, so in, in 2014, my ex and I um, were in couples therapy. We had a lot of problems in our marriage that had nothing to do with my sexuality. And I came out again to in, in the context of that therapy and really didn't get a lot of support from my therapist. Um, she sort of... Um, didn't pay attention to it and wrote it off as a bad relationship I had with my mother, which every lesbian ever has been told that. So that's where you insert the eye roll here. Um, and then about, in, uh, two, then it's 2016. The years are starting to come quicker now. And um, I was ordained. Um, right after my ordination, I said to m my sister, who I was, who had come for my ordination, I was driving back into the airport and said, my 
then husband and I weren't getting along again. And I said, oh, we've got to go back to therapy. I mean, I know this is, this is, I know that doing the work that I do, I was a hospice chaplain for about four years then. I need a soft place to land. I need a place where I can feel and stuff like that. And um, so in the context of the therapy, um, I started telling my therapist about this incredible patient that I had who was um, about 95. She came on to hospice with like, she signed the paperwork and then thought she was going to die the next day, <laughs> which a lot of people do. Um, and uh, she was a very with it woman, um, had cancer. And so one of my roles as a hospice chaplain is to visit with people who want a chaplain visit. And so I visited our pa this patient every week for the eight months that she was in hospice. And towards the end of it, she was like, why is this taking so long? She goes, you know, and she said to me, I feel like I've been waiting for something my entire life. And it just really hit me and just really stayed with me. And she's not gay or anything like that. And in another episode, I could tell you what she was waiting for. But she had, she had lived her life a certain way where she was very unhappy and never did things to change it to make herself happier, you know, um, living to people's expectations. So she died a very difficult death, which is very, very unfortunate. That never happens in hospice. You know, 0.5% of all people die a very difficult death. Typically, they everybody dies a very, a, a good death as we can, yeah. as, as they can. Yeah. And um, I held her while she died. And I was like, go, you can go, you can go. Because she was really struggling. And so it was pretty traumatic to me. So um, I had some PTSD from that happening. And so when I went to my therapist again, I told her that story. And she said to me, what are you waiting for, Anne-Marie? Because I told her about, Lisa, about the patient saying, I've um, been waiting for something my whole life. And I said to my therapist at the time, and like all the things I just told you swirling in my mind. And I said, I think I'm gay. So this time it stuck. Um, that was four years ago. Um, and for about six months, I laid in the fetal position, deciding whether to leave my marriage of um, 26, 27 years at the time, 26 years, deciding whether to leave that marriage or not, deciding if I had the strength and um, willpower to do to do all the things that I needed to do to make the changes that I needed to make. Um, during that time, I googled late in life lesbian. <laughs> and um, I found a I actually found a blog, which um, led to me to a support group, which um, is secret. And um, I can get people into it if after the podcast, they want to look me up, if they're interested in that, and I can help them access that. Um, but it was a secret group for women coming out later in life. Um, and at the time, there was 150 women in it, and now there's over 2,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, it, was, it, it was wonderful because all of a sudden, I heard my story again and again and again. And I was like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person that has like been, I didn't miss the boat when I was, you know, 20 and I didn't come out. 
um, you know, I disassociated my sexuality from who I was for such a long time. So um, that was incredibly helpful. And so then over the next, you know, year or so, I um, very, um, very cautiously and bravely came out to a lot of different people. Um, my two daughters and my ex-husband already knew I was gay, but my two sons did not. And so I did come out to them and came out to a bunch of other people. I even preached at my, I was, I was associate pastor of a church at the time, even came out in a sermon. So incredibly vulnerable time of my life, you know, sharing a part of me that was so deeply buried away that only would come out when I saw a woman I was attracted to. And um, so that is an incredibly vulnerable experience. Yeah. Oh my God, it really was. And it taught me so many things. And a couple of years later, I actually did a Facebook post and came out on Facebook. And we talk about this in the groups that I inhabit about like sharing pieces of yourself that were very deeply hidden and very um, just not acknowledged for a long time. And we call it a vulnerability hangover. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh, well, you know, everybody knows now, and, you know, and it's a real, it's, it's actually a real thing when you share peace. And then the next day you're feeling sort of uh, overwhelmed. So, so that's my story. And, um, you know, I'm now, uh, I have, I'm now been out for four years. Um, I met a wonderful woman three years ago. And we are partnered and I live in, I moved, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, my life has changed and it's reorganized and it has come back together. So uh, my kids had, you know, so I'll just think I'll stop there and you can ask me some no, questions. No, yeah, no, honestly, <laughs> I, I, I don't, it, it's, if there is more to it, I don't mind hearing it. Uh, you know, for me, like a, this is all about people sharing their stories. And the first thing I want to say is, you know, I can't even begin to imagine and won't even begin to try and imagine what it would feel like to, to suppress something like that for so many years. And then even when you started to, to sort of accept it and put it out there, the amount of people that sort of just, denied you of it in a sense and, and one of them being a therapist to me seems uh, really odd because to me that should be the one person who not necessarily needs to accept it but should help you work through it and for them to sort of push it back and say yeah it's not that it's something else you know that that seems so, yeah and that's that's the unfortunate thing so in the later in life community so let me just preface something later in life is very self-defined so I work with people coming out later in life and I have people that are 25 that think they're later in life. So it's often very generational. And I also believe it or not have women 75 and 80 just oh, wow. coming out. Yeah. So, so the later in life community goes from coast spans about 50 years, 55 years. So um, the therapeutic community really doesn't really do a good job with this. Um, and that is a very known fact. And I can tell you horror stories um, uh, about when women, and I am assuming men, bring up their sexual orientation in therapeutic set settings. And the advice and the things that are told to them is pretty horrifying. And that 
is more often to do with a lack of understanding of, of human sexuality, um, the lack of acceptance of sometimes fluidity in human sexuality, and also just simply not knowing. And also the last thing is that, you know, you can be a therapist, but still be pretty homophobic, even when you think you're not. So one of my goals, I'm um, working with a couple of people to start a um, nonprofit um, specifically to help people just coming out. And um, one of my goals, one of, and, and one of my partners in this nonprofit is a psychologist. And um, she and I have a goal of educating the therapeutic world, psychologists, psychologists and LCSWs about the needs of the later in life community and the needs of how to help somebody come out no matter if they're 15 or they're 75. Because I can tell you a lot of therapists don't do a great job. And there's always the ones that do, of course. Yeah, I'm yeah. not talking about them right <laughs> now. There's always the ones that my therapist who messed up the first time, who actually was a lesbian, oh, wow. uh, or and still is. She's still yeah. a lesbian. No, but um <laughs> and, and that was just a that was either a coincidence or, you know, she was put in my path for some reason by the universe. But um she was old fashioned and she just she was seventy you know, and it just wasn't her advice. And she, we, when I came out the second time the thir with her the second time in that story, I told it was the same therapist. Um, we had a lot of discussion about how she failed and how she should have really taken what I said to her seriously, the four years, you know, the two years before mm -hmm. when I said it and she realized the mistake she made. So it, it worked out and I, for her and, and, and she was also very apologetic for not listening to me when she should have and sort of dismissing it. Well, I mean, at least something came, something, I guess, positive yeah. came out of it at the end of the day. The, yeah. the, the other thing that I want to get back to that I, I sort of, um, I don't know if interesting is the right word, but I found it sort of interesting was when you were starting the story off, um, it really seemed to me that media, for one, had a big influence on not only yourself but a lot of people's uh, ability to come out just simply because like you said there was this you know uh, misinformation I guess in in some sense I, I'm mm -hmm. not all of it but I'm sure in some sense it was the fact that like AIDS and and being gay just went together like that that was just like if you're okay. gay AIDS is happening like and then that's sort of the media's fault the other thing that uh, I picked up was that sort of society seemed to have a lot to do with maybe holding you back for a while as well because like you said you 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 sort of met your husband and got married in your your early 20s simply because you know it seemed to be the thing to do everybody else was getting married everybody else was starting families and so uh, th they're just two subjects that I wanted to touch on a bit more because I think that the media can be a very dangerous thing even in today's world and everything that's going on with what, what's going on in the world now but even just relating it back to your story and then as well just in terms of society like that that we these societal norms that are sort of put on us from you know whether it's our parents or our friends or whoever it is that surround us can affect us so so majorly so i don't know if that makes sense but i just two things that i picked up from the early part of your story Okay, and and what you're actually missing too is religion. So I grew up very Catholic, went to Catholic schools, and so, oh my gosh, the morality about waiting until you were married, 
um, was very heavy. And my parents were also older parents as well. So they were, even even though I was born in the late 60s, mid to late 60s, they were uh, were uh, like in their like early to mid 40s when I was born. Okay. So, so um, they're, they were depression era. They were the greatest generation, um, you know, but that they were part of that generation. Um, so religion was a really big part of my life growing up. And it, it was a really good part of my life because I came from a chaotic home. So going to school and going to church provided me with a sense of order and certainty that I didn't get in my home life. Now I know that doesn't happen, it didn't happen to a lot of some people and were children in the Catholic church, but it did happen for me probably, you know, one of the, there's a lot of different reasons, but I'm also a girl, which I know a lot of young boys didn't have that experience, but I did have that experience of it being a very safe place for me. So religion was a huge part of what probably kept me in the closet for a long time. Um, because I was taught that, so this is the thing, is that I was taught that sex without, you know, sex without marriage was sinful, right? So when I went and experimented, <laughs> when I was in my teens, um, late teens, um, you know, I had a lot of guilt and shame about having sex outside of marriage. And so when I had my first experience with a, a man when I was like 19, um, I it wasn't really great, but I thought it, I chalked it up because of all my shame and guilt about having sex with outside of marriage. And so, and then my continued experiences with men, um, not that there was a lot of them, but they were just like, you know, eh, they were, all, they were okay. And so I think that it, it, the thing is, is when in our stories, there's so many different strands that get tied up together and another strand that i think you missed too is i'm a woman and i think that in our society there are expectations for women that's changed a little bit now but no not in real conservative religious circles and fundamentalist religious circles and even middle of the road circles i mean there is expectations for women that they're going to get married and and they're going to have children and most of society. I don't have those expectations on my children, but, and I know other parents that don't, but I, that was a huge expectation. And so as women also too, like, if you think about it in the gay community, like men come out a lot sooner, a lot earlier, and a lot with a lot more certainty. Um, and the thing is, I think little boys are taught to listen to their own voices and have their own opinions while little girls they're not so much and oftentimes when we come from that chaotic home that i talked about our inner voices that say hey this is not right get invalidated time and time again you know as we struggle to live live through that chaos so oftentimes um you know uh, oftentimes we just as women have a lot of expectations and a lot of things that society does to us, either overtly or covertly, that makes it really hard to 
listen to our own voice about anything, whether it's our sexuality or not. And I'll just say one thing, um, more thing, but the lesbian community is um, very varied. There are a lot of, like, there are women that come out early. My partner came out at 19. We're the same age. We're both 56. She's, she's, she's a very, she's a little bit, I mean, like in the community, yes, there are women like that, but there's lots of women that have been married to men and leave their husbands when they're 25, you know, 30, 35. Um, there's a lot of women that think that they're asexual, so they don't have any kind of relationships because the relationships don't work. And then all of a sudden at 45, they realize, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and then they start dating a woman and they're like, oh, that's it. <laughs> you know? Now it makes so, sense. <laughs> well, I've had a lot of really highly successful career women, highly successful, who's never, who have never had a relationship because they thought that they were just asexual or something like that. And then all of a sudden when they hit like 49, 50, um, 50, you know, early 40s, they realize, wait a minute maybe I'm not, and maybe I've been dating the wrong, you know, gender for my, my orientation. And then they start dating the right gender. And all of a sudden they're like the light bulb. <laughs> like, Oh, that's why. You know? That would make sense. Like I said. And that all goes back to expectations for women and not listening to our own voices. So, so one thing I want to say is, is thank you for saying all that, because one thing I didn't mention, I did mention that my wife and I are having a child. The thing that I didn't mention is that it's going to be a little girl. Yay. And so I, I, the reason I'm saying thank you for putting, saying all that and even just correcting, you know, maybe what I missed is because that just that, everything you said there just provided me with a ton of insight that I may not have had prior oh, because I, I've never necessarily looked at it that way. You know, I, obviously, you know, I want to have a, we're having a little girl and I want to bring her up to be independent and, and, you know, have her own thoughts and everything like that. But I've never thought about the fact that society may be sort of putting just quieting, I guess, women in some senses is, is just sort of not allowing them to have their own thoughts, allowing them to have their own sort of way of looking at life just simply because it's been sort of the same thing for years and years and years and years mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, if we go back to like the 1950s and the homemaker and like, you know, women aren't supposed to have careers and I know that's shifting now too, but even still it's not, you know, all these things that we're sort of talking about, they're, they're, they're starting to move forward, but they're still, there's still a lot of work to be done. But like I said, I just, the, the insight that you provided there, I think is huge for me at least because it's going to give me a different way of looking at, you know, as my little girl gets older, uh, giving her that ability to just sort of, you know, be who she is and not let anybody tell her any differently because I, mm -hmm. and I think that's important for all of us, men and women, but just in the way that you put it, I, I just never would have maybe looked at it that way. I don't think, you know, even having, you know, a wife and, and mother mm -hmm. and, and other females in my life, that's not something I've ever maybe considered. So uh, like I said, thank you for putting that out there. So, well, and I, and I just want to thing too, is yeah. I think the media does a little bit of a better job in the sense these days is that you do see gay couples in, there's whole shows built around them. They're in TV shows now. Um, there's a big, I don't know, dust up. I guess the Disney, one of the Disney channels, Disney shows in the last year had a gay couple or teenage couple or something like, you know. But the thing is, is that um, visibility is so important. So to see kids, to see that and say, oh, that's okay. That's normal. That's how I, I oh, 
I could be with a girl if they're a girl, or I could be with a boy and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, They have to get that across the board from a lot of messages, a lot of different places. But I think that the entertainment side of media does a little bit better job of showing that there are gay people in this world. No, and I can I can definitely see that a bit for sure. One one thing um, I was also curious about is you mentioned sort of how your Catholic upbringing, sort of the religious side of things, um, would have suppressed some of this because of shame and stuff like that. But then you you sort of mentioned later on in the story about coming out to your church, and and so was there sort of that. Um, I guess both ends of the spectrum where, you know, at one point in your life, it was holding you back and it was causing these feelings of shame. And then at another point, it maybe actually supported and helped you because you didn't get it too much into the story. So I'm just curious as to uh, whether that happened or not. So I like to call myself a Catholic evangelical congregationalist yogi. So I've had a <laughs> very wide spiritual journey through Christianity um spent some church in evangelical christianity for about nine years which was good because it informed i know a lot about it now um so i belong to an incredibly wonder i live in i lived in washington connecticut at the time and i belong to a congregational church which is part of the united church of christ which is known as the ucc which is a very progressive christian denomination which i was um ordained in um my church was wonderful, uh, which is not the experience of a lot of queer people who attend church. Uh, that, so my, my experience was the opposite. Um, but I was also an associate pastor of the church for a while. So they knew me very well. And I actually, sh- so in the United Church of Christ, there's something called ONA com- um, congregations where are open and affirming congregations, which are opening, open and affirming to the queer community. And so um, we were passing that within our church. So I shared my story. Nobody knew I was gay at that point, but I was in the midst of coming out. So, um, so I shared that story in my community, in this community to make them to help them understand that all like the preconceived notions of who is gay and who is not and how they can be helpful to somebody who is gay um, can be in so many different ways than just being welcoming to a queer couple that enters through the doors and being a place that is loving and kind and accepting to all people and being a place where I felt comfortable enough to do that because I was not the pastor at the time. I just preached occasionally. I was working in hospice um, was a real attribute to that church. And I just want to say that that church also, we didn't know a lot about the trans community at the time. So they did a whole educational series to sort of learn about the trans community because they realized that that was their, what they didn't really understand. And so I was really proud and I I was part of the community, the committee that made this church open and affirming as a straight woman (laughs) at the time. And so um, it was a really, they did a lot of really good work because it's easy to be an open church. What's hard is to be affirming, which means um, to 
you know, like if a gay couple walks in and they have their arms around each other or they're holding their hands, this is just an example, just to be very, like, mm-hmm. not to be like, oh, look, they're, <laughs> which yeah. is still happens. It's just like if you would be in a nice, in, in nice, um, if you would be in a very affirming city and people don't even pay attention, they don't care. You know, yeah. that's what oh, I'm talking about. I, li- I live just outside of Toronto, so I don't know how much you uh, know about Canada, but yeah. uh, <laughs> it's yeah. not really a... I'm going to have that, to migrate yeah. there soon if things get worse in the United States, but let's not well, talk about that's, that. Yeah, let's hope not. And Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... One thing I, 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 you know, I just want to sort of look at sort of the, the entire journey there. And, um, you know, you did mention sort of after going through, I think it was the, the second time of speaking with your therapist, you, you sort of went through this time of curling up, you said in like fetal position, which, and, and just having to go through all these thoughts and processes and everything like that. And so I want to look at, you know, if we look at the entire journey and maybe not your childhood, or if you want to include it completely up to you, but if you sort of look at the entire journey and, and what sort of tolls it took on you, like emotionally, physically, whatever ways that you can remember, I just want to get an idea of sort of wh- what the effects of, of everything that, you know, just suppressing everything and going through all that had on you, just uh, if you don't mind sharing. Um, so I didn't suppress it. Okay. I think I dissociated. It's dissociated. It's not disassociated, but dissociated. I was somebody who was dimly aware and and when i tell these this story it's also with a lot of reflection you Mm -hmm. know so i was dimly aware of my sexuality um so what oh it took such a toll on me it it i've never had anybody ask me that before so it took a huge toll on me um when we don't acknowledge something that is so fundamental to ourselves. And so for me, it was my sexuality and, and for you or somebody else, it might be different. Um, I had this intense restlessness inside of me my whole life. Like this restlessness that I could just never put my finger on. Um, And I tried to fulfill it in a lot of different ways. And I was like, in a, when we term American success, I was married for a long time. I had four beautiful children, had a beautiful home. I had a career. I had everything that we say that makes people happy. And I was deeply alone and deeply unhappy. and. I tried really, really hard because, you know, to, to find purpose and to find meaning. And that's probably what led me into all my careers and stuff like that. But I was just like so restless and I couldn't put my finger on it. And so when I chose to acknowledge, I call it acknowledging my sexuality, um, and then going through the process of coming out and everything, that restlessness disappeared. I don't have that. I don't have that anymore. And I'll never forget in that fetal position phase, my ex and I were having some friends over and, and I remember just like thinking to myself at the time and they were outside and I was like getting food ready or something. And I looked out the window and I was like, 
is this all there is? Because I was already in my mid, I guess, early fifties and like thinking, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. You know, and most, if I was a typical straight married person, I'd probably be really happy, maybe be really happy with that because had gotten to that point. My, you know, my third child was at graduating college, you know, and um, remembering just being so like, and feeling like there was something so deeply wrong with me because I had been, I had achieved everything that I was supposed to have to make me happy and I wasn't happy. So was I ungrateful? Was I this? Was I that? Like a lot of women, I took it on. And so um, that was the cost of not coming out. And also too, the other cost was not being with my people. So my family would joke with me because, you know, we, we had, we had gay people come in and out of our lives. And if there was ever somebody who was gay that was around or there, I would always go and hang out with them for the whole time, subconscious. Yeah. But I missed my people and I needed, and, and now I'm with my people all the time. So I don't have that problem anymore, but um, that restlessness disappeared. So I think if you have a restlessness in your life, like this, like, like, and you don't know what it is, you actually probably do know what it is. You just have to let it in. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, uh, thank you for, again for just for, for sharing like that. And I, I think the one thing that I, I really want to sort of echo in, in terms of what you said was the first part there where you said, you know, like that you didn't feel like yourself for so long. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think a lot of us sort of go through life with this sort of, you know, whether it's tying your identity to your career, to something that's been mm-hmm. a major part of your life, you know, we go through life not knowing who we are. And I mean, for me, you know, again, not to try and compare stories or relate stories, but I spent, you know, 30 odd, well, I would say 16, 15, 16 years, something like that, where I was in the same sort of career, living a certain type of life, believing like that's all that there was for me until, mm-hmm. you know, I reached my 30s and something like I told you before we got started, you know, I lost the job. And then it was like this wake up call of like, maybe there's something more. And so, you know, I, I can, in a sense, relate with the fact that of asking that question of like, is there something more? And I think a lot of us need to sort of ask ourselves that question because of the fact that if you spend too much of your life in, in not in alignment with who you really are, not knowing what your values are, not knowing who you are, it can create a lot more turmoil. And, and so, and, and like I said, I just, I just want to echo that because I think that too many of us just spend too long not knowing who that person is. And, and, I, and, and unfortunately some of us may, like you said, in that earlier story may get to, a you know, our eighties, nineties, and then be like, you know, there's something I didn't do in my life. And that would be, I think the worst feeling in the world. Right. I don't know yet, but I just feel like it would probably be the worst feeling in the world. So. Right. And I'll, I'll just say as having worked in hospice for so long, it, regrets are the worst thing, you know, and a lot of times it's regrets about, you know, it's so funny, like, I shouldn't have stayed married to so and so for this along, I should have left or, you know, or I should have tried that career, or I should have you know, come out or I, you know, and so I think that's one of the things I learned from working in hospice is that I knew that I didn't want to end up at the end of my life saying, gosh, I wish I had done 
this or done that. And, Mm -hmm. and so I just want to make it very clear that I was a lesbian and I was gay my entire life. I just, so I didn't make a choice. (laughs) I made a choice to come out and that's the difference. So it's, it's like, like I didn't yet. I mean, if you're listening to this, you can see clearly that it was something I struggled with very much in my life. But I say that to people, it's, you know, we don't choose to be gay or not, or to be a member of the LGBTQ family. We, what we do choose is to come out now, and that's the choice. And now having lived through this pandemic for the last three months, um, I am so glad I did. Yeah. I'm so I, glad I, I can only imagine. Yeah. That I'm, might so, glad. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Oh my God, I'm so glad I did. And not to say that it's all, you know, <laughs> unicorns and rainbows all the time. <laughs> it's not. Um, I have a lot of grief um, that I struggle with because I did. I loved my family and I loved it the way it was. I love it the way it is now. But I'm, I, you know, there, so in the later in life coming out process, there is just a, trim, there's, this incredible joy of discovery and just finding out new things about yourself and finding a community where you feel like you finally fit and all things like that. But also there's in tandem, you have your life sort of being ripped apart and, and you um, there's a lot of loss. So even if you're the person that wanted to get divorced, whether you're, whether you're a straight person getting divorced or, you know, you have my story. Um, there is grief, even if you're the person that wants it. There's a lot of grief with your family. So learning to hold those in tandem is a very, that's really important of learning to hold the things that are sad and the things that are very happy in tandem because they're happening at the exact same time. And that can be really challenging. (laughs) No, I can only imagine, but I, I, again, I think it's a strong point to bring up is the fact that we have to sort of accept both. We can't just want to always, I I think I spoke about this yesterday on the episode that uh, I was on, uh, that I was interviewing yesterday and the fact that we all feel like, you know, we've got to chase this thing of happiness and that, you know, we've got to always be happy and we've got to, it's just not, that's not sustainable and it's not what we should all be chasing. It it should be like you're saying, it should be accepting both and trying to find fulfillment overall, but just being able to accept all of our emotions and and not necessarily get caught up in them either. I mean, I used to get caught up a lot in anger and frustration and now I tend to just be able to sweep it off a bit and that's just due to practices and stuff that I've introduced into my life. But um, but yeah, I think what you're saying there in terms of accepting, you know, that there's going to be good, there's going to be bad, or there's going to be happy, there's going to be sad is is definitely important. Well, the best I'll never forget in my chaplain residency, my supervisor said to me, she, I said something about being angry and having a lot of shame around anger because women do. And um, she said, it's just a feeling. A feeling's just a feeling. It doesn't like, and I was like, like it was like one of those moments where it just hits you, you know, and I'm like, Hey, you're right. Just because I'm feeling anger in the moment doesn't mean I'm an angry person, Yeah. you know? And, and the thing is too, is that I'm going to say to back up what you just said, where have you learned the most in your life? It's not during the happy times. It's not during the joyous times, which are wonderful. And I feel like feed us, 
it's really in the hard times in our life that mm -hmm. we learn the most. So like for me, I'm a grief counselor, you know, grief is a huge teacher about change and transition and vulnerability. It is such a huge teacher about it. It sucks, but it really teaches us a lot. You know? No. No, I, I mean, yeah. we could, we could make this a two hour long podcast if we get into all these different <laughs> subjects, because I, I yeah. definitely, definitely know what you mean there. And, and like I said, you know, maybe I, I think you're, you're, you're going to be a guest that's going to have to have a repeat episode because <laughs> I think there's much more that we can talk about in many yeah. different subjects and stuff. But mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. one thing I, I want to get down to the last few questions here and just okay. respect your time and everything. But uh, so at this point in your life, and I mean, I feel like I kind of know the answer just based on everything you've just said, but at this point in your life, would you say that you found success and fulfillment in what you're doing? Or would you say that you're still on a journey towards that? Oh, I wish I was done, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing is that we just keep learning, you know? I mean, like, yes, I'm happy. Yes, I'm happy with the choices I've made. Um, my kids, a couple of them after the turmoil, um, are everybody's okay and we've readjusted. So yes, I'm there. I'm like happy and I'm happy with the success, but I also know that life just keeps bringing us new things to explore and, you know, sometimes have to hurdle. And, um, so, uh, will be really interesting. And also I'm aging. So I'm, you know, 56 and I'm sort of, you know, another 10 years, 10, 15 years, I'll be at the prefaces of, prefaces, precipice of, you know, being old, elderly. And so I know, and having worked with the elderly for so long, I know that brings a whole new set of challenges. So yes, Can't, yes. And that's my answer to your question. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Yes, I am. But I know that this, I'm not done. And uh, the thing is, Brian, what I love about what you're doing is that you're young. And, you know, so just, I just think about like what kind of wisdom you'll have by the time you're 50, if you start, I started the journey when I was about 40, mm -hmm. but you know, really doing the work and doing a lot of therapy and exploring a lot of things. And so like about 40 is when I really started to do the work. And so every time when I see someone doing the work when they're 25, 30, I'm like, yeah, you go. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And like I said, <laughs> yeah, I, you I know I'm learning. You'll yeah 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 i'm more than aware of that and the reason i i, I don't know I, like nobody would have saw it but i laughed really hard when you said yes and because the yesterday's guest that was one of her her tips about life was to say yes and and so mm -hmm. it just made me laugh when you said it because to hear it again it's like okay there's something there and so it just sort of made me laugh because i'm like okay this is something that if i'm hearing it two days in a row especially maybe something i need to start considering in my life is just saying yes and right so or you um, can title you can title the two episodes yes and one yeah, yes, yes and, and two, two. <laughs> because i always i have this rule of three in life so if i hear three different things from three different un, like unrelated sources mm -hmm. i take them seriously because i don't call god god because that's problematic i call it the universe um and i feel like the universe is trying to tell me something and so i always listen when i hear three things from three different sources that have no idea that 
They have yeah. no relationships to each other. <laughs> no, and I agree with you on that point. Mm-hmm. So now, at, speaking of threes, um, at the <laughs> sort of at the end here, the, the last question that I ask uh, all my guests is if they could look back on their journey and everything that they've been through, if they could give our listeners three important lessons, three things that might be able to help them on their journey and through going through their challenges. So what would you say your three lessons would be? Um, I think mine are about relationships and people in our lives. Um, That not making change because of your, because of our fear of the what, what ifs just leave us stuck in places. So I heard somebody say yesterday, like, like I was afraid of fear. I was afraid. And then I did it anyway, or, Oh, I know what she said. She said, I was, I was afraid of failure. And then I failed, (laughs) but that's sort of the point I'm trying to make is that a lot of times we keep ourselves in incredibly unhappy situations because we're afraid of the variables that might exist. And so, and we're afraid of change. So I think that learning to work with fear and embracing it is a way that we can facilitate change that we might need in our lives. And you don't have to, I always tell my clients, you don't have to eat the whale at the whole time. You just take one bite at a time. So just doing one thing that makes you afraid and just taking that step forward. And it can be something so very, very little. And the next thing is related to our children. Um, I hear so many times from women, um, I'm the one who's causing this. I'm going to make all these people's lives miserable. I'm going to break up our happy home. So the thing is, is that, and so that's about choosing our truth, right? The thing is, is that yes, for a little while, people will be uncomfortable with the changes that happen in your life. Some of them may really resist and not be happy and be angry. And, but the point is, this is your life and we only have one life supposedly to live. So we should do the most we can to make ourselves happy and not live for other people. We need to live for ourselves, even if it's people we love greatly. We shouldn't stay in unhappy marriages for the sake of the children or the sake of appearances or that my family will be angry at me or my church will be angry at me if I leave this very unhappy marriage. And then the third thing is that people worry, really worry about their children. And like, because we have this fallacy that we should stay together we should stay together for the kids no matter what. And I think it's time for us to blow that theory up because what our children need are happy parents. And when we stay in an unhappy marriage or an abusive marriage or a marriage that's just not working out for us anymore, what are we teaching our children? We're teaching them to do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And we would never want the unhappiness for our kids that we've sort of experienced for ourselves. So I was, I'll never be, 
I'll be forever grateful because I got a lot of real hard things that happened in my hometown when I came out. And a couple of years later, I ran into this woman um, that I was friendly with and she, you know, we were talking, she goes, yeah, I heard. She goes, what a wonderful example you are to your kids. She was like the first person that ever said that to me. She goes, you taught them that, that it's okay to be happy and to go for your happiness and to, to make changes in your life that you need to make. That's what you taught your kids. And so I think we need to rethink the conversation we have around divorce. I just do. So those are my three things. No, awesome, awesome, <laughs> solid three tips to end with. You know, yeah. I, the first one, I, I, I definitely want to just really, again, echo that because I think that what you said about sort of working with your fears um, and, and not necessarily letting them hold you back, I think that like one way that I put it is, you know, we, we spend a lot of time in our comfort zone. We spend a lot of time mm-hmm. being comfortable and it's outside the comfort zone in those places of fear and, and stuff that we actually learn a lot more about ourselves and we grow. So I think that working with your fears is a key point for everybody to sort of consider, um, you know, in, in whatever challenges they might be going through. So, so yeah, last thing really here is just to give you an opportunity to promote yourself, whatever you've got going on, programs, you know, you, you did mention an upcoming book. If you want to mention it, that's totally up to you. Uh, where to find you on social or whatever, however the best way to get in contact with you. So the floor is yours. Go ahead. Well, I do have a book coming up, but I don't even have a title, so I'm not going to promote <laughs> anything. I'm in the midst of writing it with me, uh, with my um, editor, and it's about my coming out story, but it's also not about my coming out story. It's about a lot of the things we talked about because what happened to me um, can be applied to anybody in their lives. And yes, my, and it would be nice for people a little to learn a little bit about later in life people too. Um, but I do a lot of work with women um, and men coming out later in life. And you can find it by just Googling me, um, Anne-Marie Zanzel. Everything I have on social media um, is on, uh, under my name. Uh, so you can find me on Instagram, you can find me on Facebook and you can find my website and you'll have that in your linear notes, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And, um, I also do, I also have a Facebook group of about 400 women and it's called Vita Nova, which means new life. And it's an open group. It's a closed group on Facebook, meaning which, um, you can find it, but, um, you people, when you're in that group, nobody um, can see your post and only you can see other members posts. And so, um, that's a group for women who have gone through a lot of transition and change. You can be gay or straight to join the group. Um, and it's, uh, geared to women who are creating a new life after an older one has ended. And so there's that. And I also do support for women coming out later in life, as I said, but I also do a lot of grief counseling as well. I'm a, a grief counselor uh, with the, I'm called a compassionate bereavement provider. And I've been certified for, through the Miss Foundation, which is a foundation for people who have had children that died. And so I do a lot of, I do a lot of grief counseling as well. So so I do both and. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll make sure to put it as uh, all that in the in the show notes and and let people know where to find you. Um, yeah. Uh, thank thank you for for signing up. I I definitely 
Um, didn't expect to learn as much just based on our conversation from the beginning where you were, you know, sort of putting it out there that it is a little bit harder for somebody who's straight to maybe understand your story and your journey, but it definitely gave me a ton of insight. So I'm happy that I took the chance and, and we made this happen and that, you know, uh, you, you opened up the way that you did. And like I said, you know, during the episode there, the insight that you provided me just on being a woman in today's world is something that I'll be able to carry forward with me. So I appreciate that a ton and just appreciate you for for like I said coming on and taking the time to spend with me today and giving me the chance even though you know we weren't sure how this was going to work so I'm just glad that you did well thank you and you did a good job (laughs) awesome (laughs) all right well take care and we'll keep in touch all right thanks Brian thank you for listening if you enjoyed the podcast please subscribe And follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also follow me, Brian Almeida, by searching my name on all platforms. If the podcast has impacted you in any way, I would also greatly appreciate a review. Lastly, if you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, I would love to have them on. Thank you and see you next week.